Welcome to the Female Insight Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. Welcome to the Female Insight Zone. This is Mary Beth Kazmaski. Today I'm interviewing Marilyn Suttle. She is a customer service and communication expert. She's a speaker. She's been a business owner for over 20 years. Uh, she's the best-selling co-author of two business books. The first is Who's Your Gladys? How to Turn even the most difficult customer into your biggest fan, which I love, and the most recent, Taming Gladys. So I am so excited to get to speak a little bit with Marilyn Suttle today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So what is Who's Your Gladys? Tell us about that. Well, we all have a Gladys, and that could be a customer that is requires more of you. It requires more patience, more effort. Uh, it's the customer, not that you don't want, not the one that you want to fire, but the one that's going to point out all the problem areas that probably 10 customers before them and 100 after them will experience if they don't speak up. Ah. And so, you know, I know that the work you do is is about how to turn those sort of difficult customers or customers that are going to ask those kinds of questions into your biggest fans. And what are some of the secrets to doing that? Well, you know, I work a lot on the leadership level where a customer, for example, with a manufacturing company, if you lose that customer, you're losing millions of dollars. And that relationship may be a 30-year relationship. And something that happened before you even had that position, they're mad about still. So you are stepping into a situation where they're holding a grudge and it's very difficult to, how do you keep your composure under pressure? How do you be responsive? And I'll I'll tell you one of the easiest, I always look for the simple changes that make the biggest impact. And one of them is just aligning your entire team with the same set of definitions. So just like if I were to ask you, Mary Beth, what does responsive mean? What does it like when you're answering emails? What is a responsive time frame of answering an email? And you might say what? I mean, uh, what some of my customers think is like one minute, <laughs> but it could be <laughs> one hour, could be you know three hours, but probably not more than that if you're being responsive. Well, right. And so I have a, I'll have whole leadership teams, global teams, and we'll ask that question and get different answers from every single person on the team. So what happens is the customers are not getting a consistent experience. There's not a definition. And it seems so silly spending time on definitions. But once everybody's aligned and we're all doing it the same way, customers crave consistency. That gives them a sense of security. And so when we all know what the expectation is, and it was funny, one time I was working with um, a high-level engineer and It was simply something as small as if you get an email from a client and they ask for information, it's going to take you two days to get it. Immediately email and say, I got your email. I'll get back to you. And he thought, "Eh, okay, I'll try it. And he came back and he's like, I can't believe it. The customer thanked me. He was so relieved. (laughs) Well, sure, because from the minute they send, send, they're waiting and they're expecting and they're wondering, are you ignoring me? Are you going to get back to me? Do you even care? <laughs> it's crazy. Right. So just being responsive in the same way across the board. It's one simple, subtle shift you can make that gets a big result. 
Interesting. Well, you know, I know one of your clients is Ford Motor Company. And so I'm assuming that with some big companies like that, where you've got, you know, thousands, millions of customers, that it's it's really hard to set expectations in a certain way. So what do you do with a, with a really large company like that? Yeah, the, with the large companies, you know, it's, it's one of these things, and I, I've seen it so many times, companies are siloed. And one department's doing great and the team leader is great. You know, people don't leave companies, they leave bosses. It's an old adage, but it's so true. So if you can get your leadership team accountable to a, what I call a culture of customer service, and that see customer service is just something that's something you do once in a while or it belongs to a department. It really is a leadership conversation and it starts there. And if you don't demonstrate it, and model it internally, it doesn't happen. So it really is holding accountable those leaders who are you know, responsible for it, and then making the time for them to actually see what is this customer's journey? What is the first point of contact? And what is the last point of contact? Because those last impressions leave a really lasting impression. And we tend to forget about that completely. Yeah, that's a really good point. So here's another question. So your name is Marilyn Subtle, right? And I I know that you have talked about helping teams make subtle shifts using a little play off your name. But what Mm -hmm. is a subtle shift for breakthrough success with customers? Oh, gosh, there are so many. Um, And it's really it really is the small things. It's the small, small little ways that you're thinking. For example, a subtle shift. You know how sometimes you have a, a voicemail and a customer's angry. Or I also think of customers as the people inside your company, your internal customers. So you have a boss who's angry or a coworker who's who's frustrated with you because you didn't get them the report quick enough. So those are all your customers. And so a subtle shift might be around conflict. And where you start to look at your beliefs and you think, oh, conflict is bad. I'm going to avoid this because it's too uncomfortable. I have to brace myself, you know, that kind of thinking. So a subtle shift would be to simply say, conflict well handled leads to a stronger relationship. Mm. It's a simple shift in a belief. It's, you know, when you hear people often say, oh, I wish I could do that. I love the quote, don't grow a wishbone where your backbone ought to be. It's like you will not die from conflict. As a matter of fact, if you can be calm during a conflict and really listen, the other person's going to feel 10 times better and you're going to grow the relationship. Yeah. I, when I was um, younger, I loved conflict. And um, my, <laughs> my parents used to always say, you should be a trial lawyer because you love conflict. But it's really, mm. not, it's really not about that, though, is it? It's not about being a trial lawyer and saying all the things that you want to say. It's really what you just said. It's about being able to listen to the other side. And it's okay that we're having this disagreement. This happens all the time today with po- political disagreements. And it seems like no one's mm-hmm. listening to the other side. So talk a little bit more about that and how we can think about this idea of conflict and deal with the conflict as opposed to avoiding it. Well, you know, conflict is really when two different people have two different ways of looking at something and they don't understand each other's way. I remember Marshall Rosenberg from way back. He was a, he did a lot of work on communication that I studied years ago. And he said, um, any conflict could be settled in 20 minutes after both sides fully hear each other. And he worked a lot within the political world as well as 
in you know his nonviolent communication books, but uh, it really has me thinking and watching and seeing how companies work. And I'll give you just a simple example would be, you know, I do a lot with global teams. So I may have 10 different countries come together. They're all part of the same team, but uh, you know, it's a global company. And one subtle shift that I did, because I realized people don't tell you when they're upset necessarily. They don't tell you when you're screwing up in their eyes and you don't see it. So I didn't know what I didn't know. So when I would go in and I had my PowerPoint slides, whatever, I would take them and go to a a company that does translating and say, will you read my slides? Will they make sense? Will they be offensive? Do I have examples here that don't make sense? And sure enough, there were little things like apostrophes are hard for them to, if English is a second language, that's an annoyance for them because it's harder for them to translate. Or using sports analogies that they don't have that sport in their country. Hmm. It, it's those little, I call them, what would be on your customer's irritation list? And can you get help to see what you're not aware of so that you can become aware of it? And once you are aware of it, you can make shifts. So we have so much political discourse in this country. How do you think it would work? I mean, what do you think would solve all this crazy political discourse? We are going to have different opinions, but when we cannot work at all together, that's a real problem. Whether you're in a business and even, you know, just as importantly in the government or, you know, just in the world. Yes, yes. And you know what? The big thing to to manage fear, I think when we have fear, our Uh, Well, scientifically, if you look at brain researchers, they say as fear goes up, intelligence goes down. And it actually closes down our frontal cortex where our our logic and reasoning is. So the first thing to do is to manage fear. And I often say, is this fear leading to growth or is this fear leading to danger? Because if it's leading to danger, we all act as if it's danger because it has the same exact physiological feeling inside, right? We get the same heart racing, intense chest and sweaty palms. It's the same thing. So if you could just start to manage the fear and say, okay, this fear is telling me that this is important. This fear is telling me that this is something I really have a a commitment to to make a change with. Uh, Manage the fear. And then even simple things like breathing will help oxygenate your skin, not your skin, your body. and bring you back you know when they say count to 10 it's like so trite come on tell me to count to 10 we're talking about political stuff here but what happens when you count is you're reactivating your logic centers and it shifts your brain chemistry and puts you in the creative space and we talked about creative space a moment ago so i think the first thing is when you come into a meeting when you come into this political atmosphere with fear and we're labeled like they're evil and you know, both sides see each other as evil. Well, that's a pretty terrifying image. And that brings up fear. What if going back to a customer service perspective, somebody who is upset is a person who has expectations that aren't being met. So what we really have here is a series of people with varying expectations that aren't being met. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, okay, let's take a look at these expectations. Let's talk this through. Now you got some logic going on and you can actually see things in different ways. Put yourself in the other person's perspective and see where you can find common ground. 
Hmm. Great advice. And I think advice across the board, uh, whether you're having a disagreement with a spouse or someone you work with, or it's just some kind of a political thing uh, or whatever it is, I think re-engaging that part of the brain that will help you to think more logically makes a lot of sense, obviously. Well, absolutely. But then there are simple things just to be aware of. For example, and you, you brought up you know home life as well. When you ask a kid to do a chore, or your husband for that matter, um, and they start to grumble, we typically get upset and say, what do you have to grumble about? You know how hard I'm working. <laughs> well, here's the, the fact is when a person grumbles, it means they're kind of soothing themselves through doing something they don't really want to do. So just let them grumble. Leave them alone. They're about to do it. We interfere with their process, and then we end up with a big blow up. So a lot of it is that emotional intelligence in the way we communicate with each other. And so, you know, when that customer's grumbling, you take it personally, you're going to have a whole different outcome than if you just realize this is their process. This is, this is what they do. It's not personal. And especially if you have, you know, working with grumbly bosses, it, it, it can make you go home and stay up all night worrying about if you're going to have a job the next day when really it's, it's, the way you look at it will shift how you feel. Hmm. Interesting and certainly insightful. Marilyn, how can people reach you? How can they find your website or uh, any social media uh, that you have? Well, they could get me on my website at MarilynSuttle.com. That's M-A-R-I-L-Y-N-S-U-T-T-L-E.com. Also on Twitter, I'm Marilyn Suttle. And on Facebook, I'm who is your Gladys and subtle shifts so they can get me two different ways. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today at the female insight zone. Well, it was my pleasure. And I love what you're doing, building this awareness and helping collaborate with people who really want to strive for success. You're doing an awesome job. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the female insight zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.